From True Spectrum Media, this is the Genetics of Hope podcast, a candid conversation series with the doctors, patients, researchers, families, and activists who make up this rare disease and biotech community of goodness. On today's show, we speak with Nikki McIntosh, who founded Rare Mamas, an online community that provides resources to new rare disease parents. We're also joined by Genetics of Hope co-directors Gareth Burgess and Artemis Joukowsky. Welcome, Nikki, to the Genetics of Hope podcast. We're, we're happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you. We, we get, often get into, you know, very clinical side of things, biotech research, and, you know, today we have the opportunity to, to speak with Nikki, and you founded Rare Mamas, so we're going to be getting a lot into that, um, and, and also talking about rare disease parenting, you know, the, the families that become such a critical part of, um, you know, in this case, Miles' support system. In a way, you know, you take on so many, so many roles, right? There's so much to learn and there's so much to figure out. Um, and so, you know, to start things off, can you introduce yourself? And I also do want to start off by talking about Rare Mamas, because I think that will help us frame the rest of the conversation as we get into um the genetics of hope and some of the, those other topics as well. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, so hi everyone. I'm Nikki McIntosh and I am mother of two sons, Mason and Miles. And my younger son has a rare uh, disease called spinal muscular atrophy, which is called SMA for short. And it's a rare neuromuscular disease that um, causes muscle weakness. Miles was diagnosed when he was 18 months old. And we've been on a journey since then. And coming out of that journey with Miles and realizing what parents go through after receiving a rare diagnosis, all the feelings, all the emotions, um, all the challenges they're up against, it's really been on my heart to help other mothers. Um, I think, you know, you're delivered this, this rare diagnosis and you're, you're dealing with the emotions, but before you even have time to process them, you're quickly diving into trying to, to take care of your child and take care of their health. And so it can be really uh, a time of great fear and feelings of aloneness. And um, so I created Rare Mamas because I really wanted to create a space to help these moms, offer them support, provide them with the type of information that they could use to get going on their journeys right away. It's just been on my heart to help. And I want to encourage them and empower them to um, approach the rare disease journey with, with, with courage and with hope. So that's why I created Rare Mamas. In a way, I'm sure it's something you wish you had at the beginning of the road to diagnosis. And for parents who are at the beginning of that road to diagnosis, what, you know, were what were you feeling and what, you know, were you looking for in terms of a community of of support? Yeah. Uh, I think you hit it on the head, Cray. It's, 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 I create it because I was so desperately craving this information at the time. So I filled Rare Mamas with all the things that I wished I had known when Miles was newly diagnosed. Um, it, it, uh, the pillars that, that of Rare Mamas are the mindset that you need to approach the rare disease journey for your child, 
Um, it offers practical tips and tools that help you with daily living and the challenges that you're going to come up against. Um, there's a lot of encouragement and inspiration and a little humor. Um, and I think these are all the vital things that you need to um, to approach the rare disease fight and that you need for rare disease parenting. So it's filled with all those things that I wish I didn't know at the beginning. I think you learn them over time, uh, but gosh, if you had them right away, you could really hit the ground running. So that's my hope is that I can help these moms hit the ground running. Yeah. And in a way, the idea is that it's, you know, these are rare diseases, but by coming together, we don't have to feel so isolated or alone in, in this journey that we can be in it together. And, and Artemis, I, I'm also curious, like thinking back to, to your diagnosis, what was the level of support that, that your parents had? And, you know, what was it like being a rare parent, um, 40, you know, 30, 40 years ago? Um, and you know, uh, it'd be interesting to kind of see, to hear, hear what that was like. Well, I think what you've done, Nikki, is so important to all parents. My mom and dad did not have any support like that. They, you know, my first diagnosis was juvenile ALS. It wasn't wow. even a, and, and what that meant was that they had identified my disease as Kugelberg-Vollander. Uh, at that time, juvenile ALS. And so I started a ALS support group because I wanted to be with other people. So I was the first organizer ever of an ALS support group ever for parents and, and children. And I was only 14 when I organized it. My grandmother, Nikki, was the kind of person who came to my hospital room and said, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Let's go do something to help the world. And the <laughs> That's first amazing. Day, isn't that amazing? Yeah. You know, she also rescued 400 Jews from the Holocaust. You know, that was her spirit. Wow. Uh, amazing woman. Amazing woman. And uh, we organized the first ALS support group that still exists today at Mount Sinai Hospital. Um, <laughs> I love that, Artemis. And there it, you it, are. There Just I am. Pioneering an entire different disease group. <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> and I was on the board of ALS for 10 years. Wow. The only research into SMA at that time was through labs that that were ALS focused. Okay. Um, you know, and so it wasn't even muscular dystrophy or Duchenne's. Although I was on the Jerry Lewis telethon, which was quite an experience. Um, <laughs> um, and that and I also was considered to have a form in quotes of muscular dystrophy. So really, there was no information at that time for my mother. And it wasn't until until I did a blood test with Arthur Burgess, uh, Gareth's dad, uh, that identif they identified the SMN deletion. Okay. Um, and that was not until 1997, 1998. So that was the first time I had a disease called SMA, not juvenile ALS or a form of muscular dystrophy. Um, and that was a big change for my family. It was also a big revelation that my brother didn't get the disease. My mother and father were carriers, but my brother and sister didn't get it. So they were very interested from a research standpoint. And uh, that's how we got to RNA. And that's how we got to all these notions of going into the genetic material of the body 
um, you know, through the RNA. And that's really the breakthroughs in my life that happened, you know, after I was 40 years old. My mother still doesn't know what my disease is. If you asked her today, she'd say, uh, isn't it juvenile ALS? <laughs> um, so that's how far we've come. What you're saying is so so common as I learn more and more about uh, rare diseases and, you know, become a bigger part of the community. Um, you know, I'm, I'm learning that it's, that's exactly what you said is so common. Children um, are often misdiagnosed. There were, you know, six to eight different misdiagnoses. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, you know, the common challenges that we're up against. And um, I'm so glad that you eventually got your diagnosis. I'm, I wish it would have been a lot sooner, but I'm sure the people in ALS are very happy that you were. I mean, now we know ALS is not like SMA at all, right? but it's similar. It has similar characteristics. And that's what they do at that time. It was the best they could do. The way I got diagnosed with Kugelberg-Vollander was through a, a, the original electromyography f- machines where they stick the needles in your skin and mm-hmm. in your muscles, and then you have to feed back through tensing your muscles with a needle in it. That's the most painful thing I've ever done in my life. It was like torture. But that was the only accurate way to read what Kathy now does, Kathy Soboda does, where she puts the probe on the nerve in the hand and then she can read that feedback without poking your skin. But in the old days, that was a a guy named Dr. Rowland, the head of neurology at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital. And that's how I was diagnosed when I was 14 years old uh, in 1975, you know, and that was the best they could do. Wow, I I love starting back, you know, going back and and looking at this journey because it's not a, a, a moment in time, right? Like these breakthroughs and the progress and the story that you're continuing, Nikki, with Rare Mamas is a continuation in many ways of the same story that Artemis is talking about, about, you know, even if it was a different disease and they didn't even know what disease it was, it was still a necessity, you know, even to the point of survival to to come together into in community and to find the mutual support. Now we're seeing it formalized in, you know, community and conferences. And so and I know you talk about this a lot, but what do you find that is universal in in these in the rare disease journey? And, you know, what is helpful about finding these universal aspects and using them to bring people together, even if it is across diseases, there's still so much in common that's useful. Exactly. You know, our our diagnoses may be different, but um, there's so many things that are universal. I would say um, initially some of the feelings that we that we feel and I talked about some of them feeling alone, um, you know, feeling confused, feeling fear, um, you know, we're all wrestling through the diagnoses, whatever it may be, right? We have to walk our way through that, push our way through that. And then we go on to daily living um, and the things we just are day in and day out is very similar. We're, you know, managing teams of specialists. We're, um, we're talking with experts. We're, um, you know, obtaining services for in, in home health or medical equipment, um, these type of things. We also face common challenges. We're, you know, dealing with insurance appeals and we're fighting for our children to have access to education and managing either IEPs and special education. Um, 
and things of that nature. And I would say one other thing that I've found is that we have a lot of similar attitudes. I really found this community to have this fighting spirit. You know, this is not a community of people that are wallowing in their disease. It's a community of change makers, you know, I see so many examples of people coming out of these difficult diagnoses, rising up, and then really stand advocating for, um, you know, better uh, diagnostic tools, just as we were talking about, and for better legislature. Um, and so, I that was that's been one of the best um, unexpected things about this is finding this amazing community that really encourages each other and pushes each other forward. And I would say that is what's so important about coming to this community. You know, it's finding your people and, um, and we can all uplift each other and learn from each other. It's been a really encouraging part of my personal journey. Gareth, I, I do want to turn it over to you now and both speaking from um, your, your personal experience, both, you know, as a storyteller and filming with Nikki, filming with Miles and, and her whole family, but also as as the son of Dr. Arthur Burgess and, you know, even having worked in his lab, um, you know, he's another side of this and, he, you know, the research side is another kind of branch of this family that's both critical to the treatments that end up getting developed. But yeah, how have you seen the research arm, you know, and almost your dad's working in the lab? How are we interfacing with with families? And how, again, how is that important towards this continued journey of information and, and mutual support and, you know, hopefully progress and it's slow and sometimes you don't see it, but recently we have seen it and that's been really rewarding as well. Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, getting to work on genetics of hope and making a film about SMA, uh, I guess was always going to be a part of my life. Maybe something I was just born to do. Um, my first job was working in my father's lab. Uh, even as a younger child, I used to watch, um, like putting he would put dry ice in the sink and then he'd put bubbles and then there are all these amorphous bubbles with uh the sublimation from co2 to gas um and it was always fascinating the lab was always a place of curiosity um and then it wasn't really until i went to graduate school at, at chapman university that I got the chance to explore making uh, a documentary about SMA and about the research. Um, I knew a lot of, I, I, through my father, had connections to the science, I had connection to the scientific community, but I, I hadn't really met many uh, patients, many families, many parents, and a Chapman connection told me about a um, a Cure SMA walk that was one of the first opportunities I got to connect with, with Nikki. Maybe prior to that, we met at the... I think prior to that, we met at the Curious May conference briefly, but the walk was really my first opportunity to be with them for an extended period of time and to meet Mason and Miles and Tony and everybody. And what you see 
what you see there happening in the community and happening in, in the conference is you see an important exchange of ideas and you see important relationship building. So one thing from the science perspective that my dad has always been very passionate about related to the conferences is one that that part of the conference is uh, sequestered to scientists only. The reason for that not being that they don't want to share their concepts, but they want to feel free to bounce new ideas off of each other, think really creatively outside the box, but they they don't want to, you know, overpromise something that they can't really deliver on. They want to freely exchange those ideas and let them collide off each other, and then the strongest ideas will, will come to the front. Um, the other part that I know he's really passionate about is the... Um, the family poster session and in the family poster session you get a beautiful mixing of the science and the families and the patients so families get to go up to you know as as nikki can attest to families uh who have a child affected with this disease in most cases i've witnessed they really become experts on the subject. They're they're reading scientific literature or they're reading community websites. So they have they have very pointed questions, and they they're following uh, different scientists working on different pieces of it very closely. And so at when when you get that kind of community meeting, you can get the parents. Uh, or the patients speaking directly to a researcher or a scientist that is actively working on a concept that might really benefit that person's life. And so it's a really unique experience where the parents get that interface, uh, the patients get that interface, and the the researchers really get to put um, a face to their work. They really get to, um, you know, sometimes days at a lab, you're kind of in a, a closed room. It might be dark. Uh, there's not a lot of light. It can be. It can be a really difficult, monotonous uh, work style, as you said, Cray, that, you know, you might end up working on one thing for multiple years that kind of doesn't really come, doesn't really break through as you would want it to. Um, but when you get to interface with the community and you get to understand how you're influencing, how you're helping someone's life, how you're helping a parent, a child, an adult, um, that really makes a difference to the scientists. And it ultimately helps move the community forward as a whole through that, through that energy that's, that's created. That's, that's great. And I, I want to turn it back, you know, to, to Nikki and, and Artemis as well. I think you can definitely chime in on this one as well, but maybe we can start with you, Nikki. And talking about, um, you know, connecting as critical to sharing, you know, to sharing information, to this idea of community and, um, you know, 
specifically why we're on this podcast, the four of us, is because we've collaborated on this storytelling project, Genetics of Hope. And, you know, we had the privilege to, to include you as a story contributor. That's really how we see the people we're working with is that, um, you know, you have this story to tell and Artemis had this story to tell as and Gareth as well. Um, we, we're all telling the story. We're all communicating and, and for a reason. And now, especially in the COVID era, we're not going to conferences, but we're coming together on podcasts and, and through film. Um, but, but yeah, so as why is storytelling important to you? And um, how do you kind of use storytelling as you know, to connect people and, um, you know, when, when Gareth, you know, came knocking and said, do you want to be a part of this film? You know, why, why, why would you say yes to that? I mean, obviously he's an awesome, nice guy, but why is storytelling important? Um, yes. Uh, I would say personally to me, I feel like storytelling is a change agent and storytelling can be a light in the darkness. Those are the two reasons I was compelled to be a part of the film when Gareth came knocking. And um, because having walked the road and seeing how difficult it was and um, learning so much, I wanted to help the next patient, the next rare disease parent along. And that's what storytelling can do. Um, By telling our stories, we can show then we need representation, right? You know, we're rare disease patients and rare disease parents. And we look around and we don't see examples of people in our lives that have rare diseases. We don't see people that can be examples of how to live this life. And we need those. We need that representation. So that's where the stories come in. They can show the next person that comes along and gets diagnosed. Okay, there's an example of of a family living this type of life. They're doing it. They're making their way. And I can do, I, I, I mean, I can still recall so vividly those feelings I felt when miles was diagnosed. And, and I think we all can, and it's, it's a scary sea that we swim around in. And I, I think stories are the light. And so, um, we need to shine our light so that next person who's swimming around in the darkness can find their way. Um, and that's why I was so excited to be a part of this. The last couple of conferences, it's been amazing. Amazing. We've had a huge, um, I think, record numbers of adults come and attend the conference. And um, it was, um, I, I think, a mindful choice to say, you know, we need to provide more opportunities for adults. We need to provide provide more um, breakout sessions and more content for adults. And adults need to be included in these clinical trials. Um, so there needs to be that representation because as you said, this is a disease that spans all stages and ages. Um, and so I think as more content has been provided, um, there has been more of a turnout and it's, it's helpful for all of us. We want to, you know, we want to learn from, from the adults who have been through this and we can all learn from each other. So um, I'm so pleased that uh, we've had more adult representation at the conferences. During COVID, everybody's uh, across the world has been put in scenarios that they didn't imagine, and they've had to kind of readjust different aspects. And and the word that always comes to my mind is is 
resilient, being resilient, um, not necessarily pushing back against something changing, but um, having strength and having resiliency to kind of forge through and, and find the different aspects that work. Um, and that is something that I've always seen the rare disease community really have anybody I've ever met is they they have it every time. They're very resilient. And I just wanted to see, you know, based on Rare Mamas and, and the content you have on there, I think some people both in rare disease community and outside of it, um, they might struggle with how they could be brave or courageous or have this resiliency. So how how do you interpret that message of resiliency and and um, what have you done to to foster that? Yeah, I think um, it's I don't even know if it's something you plan. I think it's something that happens out of the, uh, along the way out of sheer need. Right. Um, and, and it's funny because I see this so much in Miles and I've seen this from him at the be- since the beginning. Um, and, you know, I thought we would have to have these long talks about, you know, being brave and don't give up and, and, you know, life is hard, but you have to keep trying and all these, you know, ideas in my mind of these talks we, was gonna, we were going to have and these lessons I was going to have to teach him. And I'm learning from him because he just inherently exudes that. And so I think it just comes as a survival skill. It's a survival skill. We, we have to go do these hard things where, you know, that's part of the disease. We have to go do hard surgeries and, and brave hard treatments and hear difficult news. And so you just, that resiliency builds inside of you along the way, each step. And then it gets a little bit, um, the courage starts coming, I think, from the doing. And then one day I think you look back and, and you're kind of like, wow, I'm, I can't believe I just, that all happened or I did all that, or I can't believe my son just went through all that. And, um, and then you realize, okay, I, I guess I can go do hard things. And, um, but yeah, I don't even know if it's something you plan, <laughs> but I do definitely preach it now. You know, um, I don't even know if I need to, because like you're saying, Gareth, I feel like so many of these moms that I meet, they have it they're doing it. Um, but it is, it's, uh, it's a necessary part of, uh, of this path. One of the things that I looked at in rare mamas and one of the things that, again, when we were talking about representation, we're talking about all these different aspects of, of rare disease in the rare disease community. I see that in rare mamas that you've put a, a real emphasis on, mental health specifically the mental health of of the parent and mentally what kind of headspace what kind of mental preparedness do you need as a parent to kind of go into these scenarios um i remember hearing some of your diagnosis story where one one doctor said miles just had loose ligaments and another didn't know but then when you met the the person who did know he he or she's really connected to that instantly and that's when you know the bottom fell out and you you know you really felt 
that you knew what it was, but you also knew that it could affect life expectancy. And that was kind of the worst case scenario that any parent can confront. So can you speak to um, how Rio Mamas and how your philosophy um, goes through that mental preparedness for families? Yes, I'd love to. Um, you know, there's no guidebook for how to handle a rare disease diagnosis. You don't see it coming. Most often, that's mostly what I hear. You just, you're pretty much blindsided with this, right? And then you have to figure out what to do next. And I think like any huge obstacle, the first preparations have to begin in the mind. And we have to prep our mindset for what's ahead. So I didn't know this at the time, right? I felt my way around through the dark and, and, um, and so looking back now, I realized, gosh, had I had these tools, had I framed up my mind in the right way from the start, I really could have, um, the trajectory could have been a little bit different. So that's what I want to go back now and give these moms, you know, I have the time I shed some perspective and I want to offer that to them and basically tell them, okay, you know, this is the mindset that you need to approach rare disease. And it's a courage mindset and it's a growth mindset. And, you know, one of them is um, pushing past the fear and taking action. That's the courage mindset. Part of it is, you know, you're going to be faced with all the things that you're not going to know how to do and that is going to, you know, then it's going to induce fear and you're just going to have to take action anyways. And the courage is going to come, start coming as you do these things. Um, and it's going to propel you forward. It's going to propel, um, the, the help you need for your child. It's going to help you get what you need for your child. And then secondly, you know, that growth mindset, which is basically that even though you don't know, you may start off not knowing anything about this disease. Most of us have never heard of them before our child is diagnosed. Um, but you can learn and you can um, become really um, confident in, in, you know, the information. Um, and like you said, Gareth, before, you know, you, you see so many of these parents doing that, right? Like they become kind of the experts. Um, and so we can, we can, we can grow. So that's what I'm kind of encouraging these moms is to, though you feel fearful, though you feel like you don't understand your child's diagnosis, you might not understand the genetics and the medical aspects and all of that. You can learn it and you will, and you're capable and you just need to move forward. So I'm trying to give those, those tools, those tips so they can wrap their mindset around it first and then they can get started on their path. You know, part of the idea and part of what I've seen on rare mamas is, is the recognition that, you know, you weren't the first person to walk this path and one of, you know, someone listening to this podcast or someone reading on rare mamas, um, they're not the first person to do it either. And so, you know, no one should have to walk that path alone. How can you share what you've learned along the way to make the next person's path just a little bit easier, have them feel maybe a little bit, you know, more confident or less lost, um, and you, you know, on rare mamas, just a little shameless plug, people listening, go check it out. And at you know, rare mamas.com. Um, 
and but it but it is like it's both very practical tips you know you give you give kind of tips about the finances and the medical side and you know siblings and family dynamics um and you know so much of it is also like it's very it's very human and it's about building this family this community what is what is kind of the human side of rare mamas and you know if speaking directly to the other rare parents out there like what's kind of your invitation to them um you know when when miles was diagnosed um we were fortunate enough to meet a couple moms whose children were older um, with SMA and these moms were just such a lifeline to me. I asked them a zillion questions and they, they helped me feel like I could do this. And so that's what I want rare mamas to be. I want, you know, immediately someone to find it and feel like, oh my gosh, I'm understood. Okay. This is my place. I'm accepted. I'm understood. Someone else gets it. They, oh, these are the same feelings I'm feeling. These are the same things I'm going through. And um, so I just want to, you know, put my arm around them, bring them into the rare mama sisterhood and let them know there's other people with them walking this path and we can do this, encourage each other and march forward together. Um, and I just, we need that. We, we need that encouragement. We need that support. We need to, to see other people doing this. And that's what I'm hoping rare mamas can be. Um, there's so many amazing parents that are dealing with so many hard diagnoses, facing such scary statistics, life-threatening illnesses. And, um, and so we need these safe places to, um, feel understood. And, and I think when you feel like you're truly understood, that's when you're most open to um, advice and to, you know, tips and tools when you feel like, okay, that person really gets it and I can learn from what they've done. And um, so rare mamas is kind of that place of, yeah, this is what worked. This was what didn't work. And um, let me help move you along. You, you, you talked about kind of trying to get away from the fear and in many ways it's the fear of the unknown right which is which is such a basic and universal fear um even for those outside of rare disease communities though obviously we're talking about those today um and you know you had this line in in the genetics of hope film you say um you know we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable um we have to be ready for new all the time and when we started filming um when you started filming with miles gareth it was in that clinical trial and you know spinraza wasn't approved no drugs had been approved and now you know now we know so much more but yet there's still so many more unknowns and that you know five years from now it's probably going to be the same story and so in a way the best we can do is come together no one has all the answers um but it is you know through air mamas it's it's one more way that um we don't you know parents don't have to walk that path alone and that that really just kind of struck me as something that um is is probably a way that that rare parents and and patients and people who are part of this community develop kind of that resiliency whether they're conscious of it or not it's um almost a requirement and in a way that's part of part of our philosophy with the genetics of hope is that um 
you know, we we have to be hopeful. And somewhere in our genetics are genes that have programmed us to be hopeful. And that's part of our survival is a hope and an optimism that um, we might not know everything, but we're going to keep going forward. I think, you know, I think Rare Mamas is a just such a great contribution to this community for others to have have someone else to kind of hold their hand and, and hopefully make that journey a little easier. So thanks so much, Nikki, for, for coming on and for everything you do on Rare Mamas and beyond, because I'm sure, you know, this podcast is just one of the many avenues of, of your storytelling. So, you know, thanks so much for coming on um, Genetics of Hope podcast. For more information, visit geneticsofhope.com to join the conversation and access the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Genetics of Hope. Head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to subscribe and leave a review. It helps us a lot and we appreciate it. The Genetics of Hope podcast is a production of True Spectrum Media. It is produced by Krainovic and Artemis Joukowsky. Thanks for listening and stay hopeful.